Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 18th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast, Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, uh, Brad, uh, we've got some Star Wars news to talk about today. We've got some Stranger Things, Avengers. Things are coming to an end, but let's, uh, let's start first with Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars, uh, and uh, more specifically, the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show. We now know who is going to be writing the theme for that show. Tell us about it. Indeed, uh, a Star Wars legend is coming back, and it's John Williams. Um, he won't be composing the entire score for the series, uh, but he will be composing the theme for the show. And uh, that's kind of similar, actually, to what um, was done with... Uh, the Book of Boba Fett, where they brought Ludwig Göransson, uh, the composer behind The Mandalorian, to create the theme for The Book of Boba Fett, but he didn't compose the entire series. So, um, the the Star Wars movies that haven't been composed by John Williams obviously have been influenced by him and utilized his themes and uh, taken certain cues and mixed them in with an original score. Uh, you know, stuff like Rogue One and Solo, a Star Wars story, did did that. And uh, so, I th- obviously, Obi Wan will do the same thing, and presumably. You know, they brought John Williams back because he composed, you know, the original themes and and the entire score for the original trilogy where we were introduced to Obi-Wan, not to mention the prequels where Ewan McGregor was prominently featured as Obi-Wan as well. So I'm sure they wanted him to create a theme that was fitting uh, of the music that he created for both of those trilogies. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because John Williams doesn't usually do like a lot of TV work. So getting him to do... Even if it's a limited series, a mini series or whatever you want to call it, it's interesting that they got him back to come in and do a theme. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's it's interesting. At, at some point, John Williams is Star Wars to me. Like the music of John Williams oh, yeah. uh, is, is the sound of the galaxy. But at the other point, uh, John Williams is how old? It's very old. Like, right? I, I, I feel like every year he does the... He's 90. 90, yeah. He does that concert at the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, one of my friends was like, it could be the last time. could be the last time. Uh, 
you know, and I, 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 that's, I'm a, like, that's, I a, that's exactly why when he was when I was in L.A. one time and that one of those concerts was going on, I didn't hesitate to get a ticket because I was like, this could be like my only chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so at one point, like, you know, I wish he was involved more in the, the new Star Wars stuff. But at, at another point, like, uh, you know, at some point he's not going to be able to like, I, I'm surprised he's still working at 90. That, that, that's crazy. Um, one question I wanted to ask you, Brad, is so far with Disney Star Wars, aside from the saga, which did have John Williams involved, um, composing all the music, they've kind of gone all over the place with what, who they're having score the shows, the movies should like, should they take the George Lucas approach and actually have a a composer that is on board to be the overseer of the music of the star Wars galaxy. I don't think so. And I think the way it's gone so far has kind of indicated why that's not necessary. You know, I mean, John Williams has been the sound of star Wars since 1977. And so George Lucas always wanted to bring him back to do the scores for those movies. And he, you know, was always willing to. So having him define the music for the film trilogies makes sense. But when it comes to stuff like, Rogue One and Solo a Star Wars story, they got different composers to come in. And when it comes to the TV shows, that's branching out into even different areas from the primary Star Wars saga. So it, it makes sense to have different composers tackle these things because even though Star Wars does have these like overarching elements and themes and style that, that ties it all together, they're starting to dig into stories that are branching out from the main saga, even though they include characters we've seen in the movies before. So I think much like Marvel does, uh, even though Kevin Feige is in charge of, you know, all the Marvel stuff, they have different composers, you know, tackle each of the movies and then certain franchises bring back composers, just like, you know, most blockbuster franchises do. So I think that this, this is probably the right approach, especially moving into the future, knowing that, you know, there's not really going to be a composer that probably defines Star Wars as much as John Williams does. I think constantly finding the right person for each individual job is the best approach. Yeah, I think especially when, you know, those movies are so wildly different in tone, like Solo or Rogue One, like <laughs> completely different kinds of movies. Uh, I do think it's interesting how the Mandalorian verse, I'm not sure if we can call it that, but the, the TV stuff that is coming from John Favreau and Dave Filoni, um, that they're using Ludwig, uh, kind of as the, it, it seems like they're using him as the John Williams to kind of, uh, you know, make that, that whole side, that l little fraction of the galaxy consistent. And I, I kind of like that because the, all the stories are supposedly going to, come to a head and connect and come together. So to have a, the same kind of sound uh, makes sense. I think, I think at least for these, the, these first two shows, that's for yeah. sure. Because, because Mandalorian and Boba Fett obviously share some similar uh, DNA, each of them having certain tribal influences. Um, but I think, Oh, that, oh you don't think uh, like Ahsoka will have a, you think? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's possible, especially since, you know, he, did the music for when uh, in Mandalorian, you know, when she was introduced, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went in a different direction since Ahsoka isn't like a character that is, you know, similar to Mandalorian or, or Boba Fett. So I, I think maybe what they might do is maybe they'll do the same thing they did with Boba Fett while they'll have Louis Gorenson write like the theme for Ahsoka maybe, and then have somebody else do the overall score for the series. Yeah. 
Um, an, in other news on the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, there is a rumor going around, and I don't think it's been confirmed anywhere officially, right? Uh, and this is that Jimmy Smith has been cast. Uh, he's going to be reprising his role as Bail Organa in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And w- with me saying, you know, it's not official, <laughs> Disney Star Wars TV shows, they have not, I don't think, announced any of the casting of anything like it's, well, that, it's, that's not entirely true because they did announce and um that hayden christensen was coming back at oh the, yeah the, the big disney presentation and i think that there was like a big actual like official casting announcement that announced much of the supporting cast as well yeah may, you, you might be right on that one so maybe i'm talking more of yeah yeah i guess, I guess you're right maybe i'm talking more in the mandalorian verse uh, but uh th- this report comes from making star wars they have a a great track record of reporting Star Wars scoops that have uh, turned out to be true. So I, I, I tend to believe this. And if you have Jimmy Smith's reprising his role as Bail Organa, uh, basically the adopting uh, the adoptive father of Princess Leia Organa, that probably confirms the rumors because they were trying to cast a young, uh, uh, young female character that like people were assuming was going to be leia that kind of assume that kind of confirms that leia might be in the mix here right brad yeah i would i would think so i mean uh those rumors like were indicated that they were doing some casting for young versions of the twins and i at the very least you know we'll we'll at least see them briefly probably yeah um yeah it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the story is uh, if you're bringing Leia into the mix, then I'm guessing that's going to give Obi-Wan a reason to leave Tatooine, uh, which I, I assume this series is not going to be heavily set on Tatooine, as we just saw. We just came off of the Book of Boba Fett, which was almost entirely on Tatooine. Um, so I'm guessing this one is going to be be different than that. But uh, we'll, we'll keep our eyes out. Uh, what do you think of the possibility of bringing Leia and Bail Organa into the mix for this show? It, it almost feels weird because it, it feels like Obi-Wan Kenobi should have his own like uh, story and it shouldn't bring back the Skywalkers to me. Yeah, you know, and it, 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 it's weird, I think, because it feels like a little bit of a retcon if you're doing something involving, you know, uh, Leia and or or Luke because like you would have think that there would have been some kind of you know mention or allusion to these events you know so like uh, there's that aspect of it but then also the aspect of like uh, if there is something happening with these characters it feels a bit repetitive because that's you know essentially what kickstarted A New Hope was a plot involving Leia and Luke so uh, and Obi-Wan. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the story is. And hopefully it's something that, you know, is a story that needs to be told. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just got off doing our series on the Book of Boba Fett. Uh, we've talked way too much about that show. So I'm not going to go uh, much further with the discussion of the, the plot and stuff like that. But a new report suggests that the viewership of that program was higher than the Mandalorian. Tell us about that. Yeah, apparently, I mean, according to, uh, you know, certain <laughs> bits of information, uh, these there are companies out there who track uh, streaming ratings. I'm not necessarily sure 
what their process is or anything like that. But this group called Samba TV by way of Deadline Hollywood uh, apparently clocked uh, roughly 1.5 million U.S. households streaming the finale of The Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and that is comparatively 36% higher than the season two finale of The Mandalorian from December of 2020. So, uh, isn't this a little shocking on the surface? Like, because and I say that because as much as you and I were invested in the show and talking about it every week on this podcast, it seemed like there wasn't the excitement that The Mandalorian season two, especially the finale, the one that, you know, the Jedi showed up in. Yeah, you know, and I think that the other thing too is that there's also the possibility that, uh, and it's not even a possibility, it's a fact, there are more Disney Plus subscribers now than there were when the Mandalorian season two finale happened. So it would stand to reason that that the the primary reason that there are more viewers for the Book of Boba Fett finale than the Mandalorian season two finale is there are simply more viewers in general to be able to tune in. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And I guess over time, people have watched The Mandalorian and have gotten invested, like, you know, because it's it's always on that service. Yeah, people are going to pick it up later after the, you know, it, the initial season airing. And so hopefully as this, you know, new uh, section of the Star Wars universe continues to expand, more and more people will get invested in it. And so hopefully, you know, every series will have more viewers, you hope. Hmm. That that is interesting because I don't know this, this whole statistic is not what I was expecting at all. But also, I, I mean, I guess the last couple episodes of that show, you know, brought in characters and investment from the Mandalorian. So I guess people that weren't watching the show maybe jumped on to see the final. Yeah, uh, and plus, I, partially, I wonder too if you know because the Mandalorian season two finale aired uh, in December eighteenth, twenty twenty, which was just before Christmas, and people are pretty busy around that time. And this is this calculations were done uh, for the first five days of streaming of the finale. So I wouldn't be surprised if the reason the Book of Boba Fett maybe got a little bit more is because of the time that the finale aired, because there's not a lot happening. Uh, in January and people have probably been staying home more than going out for the holidays and doing shopping and seeing people and, and whatnot. So that, that could also be a part of it. Yeah. By the way, in December, 2020 Disney plus had about 80 million subscribers or something like that. And now it's uh, the last statistic I have is uh, March 20. Wait, wh- when was, uh, when was Mandalorian season two? December, this- December, 2020. Wow, that was it was that long ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, the last statistic I have here is March 2021. And it's 100 million, so I'm guessing it's even higher than that. So it's probably at least 50 million more subscribers to Disney Plus. Which, yeah, so I guess that that does that is a significant amount of more subscribers to, to equal that. So yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's move on over to Stranger Things. Uh, they have announced that Stranger Things is ending with season five. Uh, they've announced re- release dates for a two-part season four. So they're breaking it up. Uh, season four, volume one, will release on May 27th, 2022, followed a few weeks later by volume two on July 1st. Now, this is interesting. L- let's talk about just the uh, the two-part season 
release uh, aspect of this because this has been, like, you know, a, you know, this isn't the first time a show has released a season in two parts. A lot of the, I think probably the first time that we saw a lot of that happen was like during the writer strike um, 10, 15 years ago, uh, you know, that caused production delays and stuff. And this seemingly doesn't seem to be something that is created even, even though, you know, we, we are, in a pandemic it doesn't seem to be the result of pandemic delays it, it, it almost seems like it's they want it, it it seems to me brad that this is a change in netflix's release strategy in a way that instead of getting people talking about the show for one weekend they get people invested in the first part and then they come back you know a few weeks later for the second part to to get people to talk about it again the second time what, what, what do you think yeah, I mean, I, they've especially done this similar into the way that certain young adult franchises did in movie form by splitting the final chapter into two movies. They're splitting, you know, the the penultimate and final seasons of shows into separate parts. And so not only does it maximize the hype, but it also gives them a chance to capitalize on on that hype by having a resurgence and, be, um, you know, driving more numbers to Netflix at different times, um, giving giving them more time to finish the show probably too, because stranger things is definitely a visual effects heavy show. And so I'm sure, you know, this allows them not to have to rush to get it done and have every episode finished by a, a certain time. So do, do you watch any shows that have done this? And uh, did, are you as annoyed of it, uh, annoyed by it as I am? Um, Gosh, I'm trying to think if there are, are any other shows that I've watched that have split a season like this? Currently on Netflix, Ozark, the current season of Ozark is a part one of two yeah, parts. Yeah, I, I haven't started watching Ozark, so that's a no for me. Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't I'm not really sure off the top of my head. But um yeah, it's I don't know. I personally don't mind so much because I like the idea of drawing out the conversation and giving everybody a chance to like be more on the same page as opposed to binging and uh, getting everything out there in a, a, a week and then having the conversation die down. Like I, like I miss the week to week conversation um, that, you know, at its highest was probably for a show like lost. And so that's a big reason why I like the Marvel and star Wars TV release model with Disney plus, because we get to have these podcasts and we get to have time to like speculate and talk about stuff, even if it's just for a week. So I having it spread out like this, um, on, on one hand, sure, it's bothersome because I would like to know the full story, but I also don't mind drawing it out a little bit just to allow for more deliberation and, and uh, interaction. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that is my favorite part of the Disney Plus shows is that we can have that weekly water cooler discussion about them. I guess what bothers me is like, why not just call it a shorter season? Why not just have this be season four? Season five is the other shorter season, and season six is like the epic finale season. I don't know. Maybe it's just the. Um, I I just don't like volume one, volume two, part one, part two. Uh, but we know a little bit about this season. It, uh, they have released a plot synopsis. It's It's been six months since the Battle of Starcourt, which brought terror and destruction to Hawkins. Struggling with the aftermath, our group of friends are separated for the first time and navigating the complexities of high school hasn't made things any easier. In this most vulnerable time, a new and horrifying supernatural threat surfaces, presenting a gruesome mystery that, if solved might finally put an end to the horrors of the upside down spoiler alert brad 
This is part one of a two-part season, and then part uh, five, season five is coming up. So I don't think it's going to put the end, the horrors of the upside down, but uh, they have released a bunch of posters, five posters. Uh, the first four tease key locations. So one is Hawkins National Laboratory. Another is Rush, Russia. Another is California. They have the creepy old Creel house. And, of course, the pulsating maw of the Upside Down. And the, the final one actually has all four kind of, like, converging into one, you know, one thing. Looks kind of cool. Um, but this is also kind of interesting, too, because I remember when the Duffer Brothers a few years ago were talking about their plans for Stranger Things. They said that they had plans for, I think, four seasons. And now, now it's all of a sudden turned into five. Um, I know they've talked about that and also the future possibility of like other things like spinoffs. Tell us about that. Yeah. So they um, initially planned for four seasons, but as they addressed in the official announcement, the the story that they wanted to tell proved to be too large uh, to wrap up in season four. And so they'll, they'll wrap it up with season five instead, but they have also confirmed that like, this doesn't mean that this is the end of stranger things stories. There's, have been discussions about potential spinoffs in the works. Uh, and there actually might be uh, somewhat of a, a hint as to like what that could be. Um, as well, if you look back at the original uh, pitch document that the Duffer brothers submitted, this was back when stranger things was considered to only be uh, like an, an eight, eight hour series. And it was called Montauk. And in, they had a whole franchise potential section where it says, even though Montauk is designed as a standalone eight-hour tale, the story can continue in subsequent installments. The hypothetical sequel will take place in the same town only 10 years later in the summer of 1990. Our kids will now be young adults with new lives, new problems. Many of them will have moved out of Montauk, spread out across the country for school and work, but the reemergence of horror in Montauk will bring them back to their hometown where they will have no choice but to join forces again. Wait, so wait, 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 wait a second, Brad. You're, I think you, you mistakenly were reading the plot synopsis for It. <laughs> yes yeah, so th- there's definitely uh it vibes here um <laughs> and similarly as it says this will allow us to explore many of the same characters themes and horrors from the original series but with a new ensemble of actors and a fresh time period so i mean the the stephen king influence on stranger things as well as amblin movies of the 80s uh and other horror sci-fi movies is clear um as is the influence of it uh especially if they did follow this this you know path i if, if anything you know the the big problem that stranger things has had for a couple years now is that the kids are aging out of their roles they're not anywhere near as young as they were when they first started the show and it's kind of weird to be seeing some of them playing you know 15 16 year old <laughs> kids when they look like they're in their early 20s almost um so, but like I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that they maybe tapped into uh, a little bit later when the kids are old enough to maybe have been a little farther removed from Stranger Things so that you can pull off that that it vibe a little bit more and bring them back for another sequel uh, tale. But, you know, there, there's plenty of other stories that could be linked to the these phenomena that happens in Stranger Things. Um, you know, there was that attempt at what felt like a backdoor pilot by having those other kids like Eleven uh, in, in Stranger Things. I can't imagine they'll follow through on that since that was kind of something the fans didn't really like very much. But, uh, you know, there's there are a lot of potential paths that they could take to con- continue stories uh, in the Stranger Things universe. It just depends on whether fans will be as invested in them if they don't have the main characters. Would 
Would you like to see that? Would you like to see like another series, like maybe set in the nineties or two thousands? Yeah, I think it would be interesting, but I feel like you'd have to have a decent amount of time actually pass, you know, in the real world in order to make it feel like it has some kind of significance. I feel like if you have the final season of stranger things, you know, in the, the next uh, year or two, and then you did it like three years after that, it wouldn't feel quite like a thing. I think maybe if you wait 10 years to do that, then that, that would definitely be interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that we're now starting to get like period things that take place in like the late nineties, early two thousands. Like we had yellow jackets, which it's like, it doesn't seem like that long ago, Brad, but I guess we're all getting old. That we are. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would want from a stranger things spinoff. Like I definitely don't want that, um, that group of mutant kids or, or whatever, you know, those, uh, kids uh teenage teenagers with powers that they kind of teed up in season two i i'm not sure i want a prequel explaining what happened with this this lab and all you know to open up the upside down like that 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 doesn't seem satisfying to me i guess maybe i do like the idea of it like seeing a stranger thing set maybe in like the late 90s or mid 90s or early 2000s where it isn't these kids but somehow these some of these kids get it's a legacy equal almost i guess in a way where like you know they're kind of supporting characters in a way i i i could be on board for that i think but um okay uh lastly i wanted to talk about this uh this avengers story so on disney plus there is a new special uh um what is it called? Marvel Studios assembled the Eternals and it shows you the making of the Eternals. They've been doing this with a lot of the Disney plus shows and they, it, how many of the movies have they done this with? They definitely did it with the Eternals and maybe that might be the only one. Cause I don't remember Shang-Chi having one, but I could be wrong. Anyways, uh, I'm getting sidetracked here. So in that special, there is a, quote from marvel head marvel studios head kevin feige he says quote marvel studios and the marvel cinematic universe has now passed their 10th anniversary and with the release of the final avengers movie we're finally completed a 22 movie infinity saga now everybody including us is uh <laughs> narrowing in where i like zooming in on the the middle of that sentence where he said and with the release of the final Avengers movie. So does he, does he mean that literally Brad? Because like, maybe he means like, I don't know. Like, I feel like he means like the final Avengers movie in the infinity saga. And because that, that, that makes sense. But at the same time, we're, we're all kind of anticipating the idea of the next Avengers movie being the new Avengers, you know? So yeah, that would make sense if it wasn't if that was the final you know quote unquote Avengers movie. Yeah, I think there'll be like a Young Avengers or New Avengers. It won't be the like another Avengers. It'll be like a a new team. Right. But I think eventually, eventually, this has to come back together into an epic like an actual Avengers movie, right? 
I mean, you would think at some point that they would probably have, like, I mean, that's exactly what happens in comics is, you know, you, you move on to a new team, you have different characters, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's something that happens that brings back the old characters. But like, I feel like it's a little bit more complicated with the movies because you have to worry about, you know, contracts with actors, whether or not you can get certain <laughs> people back. And if it even makes sense, you know, for, for the story, you know, cause like, I think the problem that you have with the movies is you spend such a you spend a lot shorter of a time with these characters than you do in comics and there are fewer stories. And so when you give some of these characters a proper ending, like having Steve Rogers uh, go back and live out his life with Peggy Carter or having, you know, uh, Tony Stark die and sacrifice his life as, as Iron Man in Avengers Endgame, bringing back those characters like they so often do in comic books can undercut, you know, the dramatic power of what. Uh, has been done with those characters on screen so if anything i feel like they might end up bringing back like one or two of those characters or doing some kind of uh time travel flashback kind of story that allows us to see those characters again but without undercutting their their character arc but uh i feel like the best way for marvel is forward with new characters and just continuing to to tackle different superhero teams and i'm I'm not suggesting that they should bring back tony stark or captain america I think I just always assumed that we were going to get more Avengers movies that would have some of the old characters like that still remain like Hulk or something like that. Yeah. uh, Hawkeye and would have a new cast because I mean, Disney is spending a lot of money on Avengers. If you look at like the theme parks, they just built this Avengers campus in Disney California adventure and Disneyland. They they're building one that opens, I think later this year in Disneyland Paris, they're opening a bunch of them. <laughs> it seems like it would be a lot of money to spend if they're never going to, if like the Avengers franchise is over. Yeah, I mean, it's the Avengers franchise, even if it was over, a lot of those characters will still be around. And like the the interest and love for Avengers is still there. I mean, look at most of the stuff that, you know, has rides and attractions uh, that are staples of Disneyland and Disney World. They're they're not new movies all the time. They're old movies that have just stood the test of time and that there are there will always be new fans of. So, you know, I think Avengers Campus is fine, even if the primary <laughs> Avengers franchise ends, you know, it's still gonna be a major attraction. Touche. Um, okay, so uh final vote in this. Do you think we will ever have another Avengers movie that isn't, you know, like a combination of like new or young in the title uh probably not um what i could see happening at some point is an assembly of the characters who made up the original avengers but with different versions of those characters like a like a multiverse version of the Avengers, you know, and so, so like I wouldn't be surprised if at some point we we dig deep enough into the multiverse that there's an entirely different version of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, Hulk, and Hawkeye played by different actors. Good call. That that would be that'd be crazy. I would be I would totally be down for that. That'd be interesting. But, okay, you can read more of all of our work at Slashroom.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at Slashroom.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page. Uh, write us a five-star review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we will see you not on Monday because it's a holiday. It's like, what is it, President's, President's Day? Or- Day and my birthday.
Well, happy early birthday to you, Brad. Thank you. But we'll, we'll, we'll see you on Tuesday. So have a good weekend. Uh, wait, I didn't probably say that good. Okay. Uh, have a good weekend. <laughs> <laughs> baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.